You're listening to Beyond the Chart, where we go off the record with Baton Rouge General's medical elite. I'm your host, Brogan Taj. Let's get charting. Welcome back to Beyond the Chart. It's your host, Brogan, and we've got some matters of the heart to discuss today. I'm joined by a man who can crack open your chest at a moment's notice, or not, depending on the surgery. Dr. Anton Keller is a cardiothoracic surgeon here at Baton Rouge General, and honestly, he's been one of our most requested guests. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Keller. How are you today? Very fine, Brogan. How are you? I'm doing great. You ready to jump right in? Let's go. All right. So first off, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, my name's Antoine Keller, and I'm a cardiac surgeon at Baton Rouge General Hospital. And most of what I do has to do with cardiovascular disease and lung cancer. So we do operations that are considered open-heart surgery by most people because of the fact that we have to go inside the chest. Mm -hmm. But if we do bypass surgery, for instance, it's just on the outside of the heart. We don't usually take the heart out. So we repair things inside the heart uh, that have to do with the heart valves and blockage caused by... Uh, coronary artery disease. So what made you want to become a cardio surgeon? Well, that's an interesting question. At first, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon because uh, I was going to college in Los Angeles and it was a hot time for plastic surgery and uh, I thought it would be a nice thing to be. Uh, And then I went to Duke University for medical school and at that time, cardiac surgery was all the rage because they had just put out a scientific study that showed that cardiac surgery was better than balloons for coronary artery disease. And there was a lot of action there and it was very exciting. So quite naturally, I got caught up in cardiac surgery and uh, the die was cast. Uh, After that, everything I did was directed toward becoming a cardiac surgeon. That's awesome. So in general, like what leads people to you to need cardiac surgery? Like where, how, what happens with their heart? How do they get there to that point? Sure. Well, you know, cardiovascular disease is the most common cause of hospitalization and cause of death in America. Mm-hmm. So there are uh, a lot of uh, things that you can do that can improve your risk or reduce your risk of having to go to the hospital for your heart. And people always ask me, how do I present how do I prevent my first heart attack? Mm-hmm. Or how do I prevent having a heart attack at yeah. all? <laughs> yeah, that's the better And question. so there are a lot of things that you can do. There are some things that are um, that you can't control. Mm-hmm. For instance, you can't pick your parents. The genes that you have are the genes that you have. Yes. You can't usually pick your sex and you can't pick your age. So there are those are, we call those unmodifiable risk factors, but there are a lot of modifiable yeah. risk factors that can really have an impact on how your uh, hardening of the arteries progresses over the course of your lifetime. Mm-hmm. And the first three, the top three things to do if you don't want to have a heart attack is don't smoke, don't smoke, and don't smoke. All right. And does, so, that, does that include <laughs> like vaping and stuff? Well, it includes vaping. The thing about vaping is it may not have as much tar and nicotine, but it has a lot of toxins, yeah. hundreds of toxins in vape smoke that uh, are uh, damaging to your lungs mm-hmm. and to your body in general. So just no smoking so, in general. Correct. And, and people think that, well, I smoke marijuana. I don't smoke cigarettes. Yeah. Well, marijuana has a lot of toxins and tar and toxicity in it too. Yeah. So. Um, but you have to do what you got to do. Yeah. 
but in any case, uh, don't smoke. Uh, make sure that you watch your diet. Eat a low-fat, low-cholesterol diet. Try to stay away from fried fatty foods and more things that uh, are fresh, fruits and vegetables. Stay away from processed foods. So those are um, your, big, your big three tips. For... Those are big things. And, of course, uh, now we have all kinds of medicine for chronic diseases, the things that your genetics determine. Sometimes we can control them with medicine now. For instance, your cholesterol. We have great medicine to help reduce your cholesterol. Uh, hypertension, which is a really big problem in America, uncontrolled hypertension. We can control that now with medication. And your diabetes, if you have uh, pre-diabetes, uh, then certainly work on your diet and exercise. But if you've been found to have diabetes, we have great medicine now to help control your diabetes to keep you from developing that chronic disease progression or accelerated disease progression that we see with people who have these uncontrollable problems. So when is like, what age should you start worrying about these things, thinking about these things? It's really important to understand that you have to have a, a healthy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And the healthy lifestyle starts when you're young, in your mm -hmm. teenage years, when you can make decisions for yourself. And if you make it a lifestyle change, then it's not necessarily something that you have to uh, work at when you become an adult because it's already uh, mm -hmm. died in the wool and you've already been doing that for your whole life. So. It's great to start uh, controlling all of those things that you can control when you're in your teenage years. And then you don't have to worry about them being such a chore when you get to be an adult. Mm -hmm. The place people really kind of fall down is they get on this roller coaster of going on a diet or a fad diet and then dropping off the yes. diet and then going on the diet and dropping off the diet. And you want to try to go for a steady state of yeah. wellness. You want to you know, eat right most of the time. You can have a cookie and stuff. Yeah, you know, so every now and then, like. what I tell my patients is that you have to behave every single day of your life because every day that you don't behave, then you take a day off the end of your life. But I tell people in order to feel like you're not giving everything that you like up cold turkey, that yeah. on the day of the month that you were born, of every month, you can eat whatever you want. I love that. And that way you have something to look forward to. I like that. All right, so... We were kind of talking, you kind of started off talking about like the kind of surgery and stuff you perform. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So one of the things that we know about heart disease is that a lot of times heart disease is age related. So as people get older, uh, they're more likely to develop heart disease that requires some sort of an intervention. Mm -hmm. The population in America in general is getting older because the baby boomers are now in their 60s and 70s and the proportion of the population that is older is growing. Mm -hmm. And one of the really most interesting things is African-American patients as a subgroup, that population of those people that are over age 60 is growing faster than every other uh, ethnic or minority group. And so right now in America, we have about an 8 or 9% uh, incidence of age greater than 60 in mm -hmm. America. Yeah. By 2050, that's going to be 19% of the African-American population is going to be over 60 years of age. So there is a tidal wave of cardiovascular disease coming in all communities because the population is getting older, but it's growing faster in the African-American community. And it's something that we have to be cognizant of in this country, and the healthcare system has to accommodate 
all of those people getting mm -hmm. older and all of the concomitant uh, coronary disease and valvular heart disease that goes along with it. The good thing is we have great technology now to be able to take care of those things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we are most excited about and most passionate about is transcatheter aortic valve replacement. All right, break that down for us. All right. Well, uh, aortic valve stenosis is a blockage in a, one of the valves that is inside your heart. And this aortic valve is responsible for keeping the blood moving in one direction when your heart pumps the blood to the rest of your body. Over time, you develop hardening of the arteries and depositions on that valve, which cause it to become smaller and smaller and smaller. Just like hardening of the arteries that causes a heart attack in the coronary arteries, it happens in the heart valves too. And usually, when people are healthy, they have an aortic valve that is about the size of a quarter. And over time, if it gets to be less than the size of a dime, patients usually begin to have symptoms. And the symptoms include shortness of breath or sometimes chest pain, but not always. Uh, sometimes patients will find that their exercise tolerance is not what it used to be. Mm -hmm. And they attribute that to getting older, but yeah. it's not necessarily always because they're getting older. And so it's important for you to go to the doctor at least once a year and have a checkup because a doctor can hear when you're developing this problem of blockage in your aortic mm -hmm. valve. And it makes what's called a heart murmur. And a lot of people have been told they have heart murmurs. And yeah. most of the time they feel like it's a congenital thing. But more and more we're seeing the development of acquired heart murmurs because of this blockage in the valve called aortic stenosis. Yeah, like I think I've always heard heart heart murmurs or something like you're born with or right you know. exactly yeah not necessarily and we're finding uh, more and more people who have developed heart murmurs as they get older most of the time after they get over the age of 60. so uh, one of the great things that we do in the advancements in technology over the last 10 years is making that stenotic aortic valve or the blocked aortic valve open again so that it's the size of a quarter again and it allows free flow of blood out of the heart to the rest of the body. And we do that with uh, catheters and wires now. Most oh. of the time people can go home the very next day. Wow. Used to be before we had this technology, patients would come into the hospital, they'd have their chest cracked open, they'd have the old valve taken out and a new valve put in, yeah. they would spend a week in the hospital and six to eight weeks recovering and oh. then maybe go back to work. And wow. now, uh, with this technology, people can come in, have these catheters and wires placed most of the time from the groin, okay. and then go home the very next day back to their usual level of activity in about a week. Wow. It's really amazing, and it has transformed the paradigm for taking care of this problem. Uh, the problem is it's expensive, so uh, a lot of people don't have access to people who can do this uh, procedure or hospitals that have the technology because it costs a lot of money. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money for the patient, yeah. but uh, it, it costs for the healthcare system. For sure. One of the problems in Louisiana that we have is poverty. Uh, there are many parishes around Baton Rouge, for instance, where more than half of the households live below the poverty line. Mm -hmm. So we know about transcatheter aortic valve replacement that if uh, a patient with a low uh, income has a transcatheter heart valve replacement and a patient with a high income has a transcatheter heart valve replacement, their expectation of a good outcome is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter the, the 
process does not take into account how much money your household makes. Mm -hmm. But we do know that people who come from households with low income get transcatheter heart valve less. And we found that this is primarily due to some uh, social determinants that we really can't control with if we just look at outcomes. Yeah. For instance, if someone lives in a rural area that's about 20 or 30 miles from their doctor's office or from a hospital that can do this procedure, then they may not have transportation to be able to get there. Mm -hmm. They may not want to come to a hospital where none of their family members can come because they can't afford to get a hotel room. Or maybe they have kids at home that are now being homeschooled because of the pandemic yeah. and they can't get a childcare for their kids. There's so many reasons why people don't follow up with their doctors when they need specialized care. They can't take off a day from work because they count on that income to yeah. be able to feed their families. And all of these things have a really tremendous impact on access to mm -hmm. these kinds of technologies. And um, they really do make a difference. And one of the things that we've tried to do here at Baton Rouge General is to try to take this technology out to people in the mm -hmm. community so that they can understand whether they have these heart murmurs that need to be they need to be concerned about and, and uh, encourage them to more likely go to see the doctor if we find something that's worrisome. Yeah. And we feel that's having a significant impact on the numbers of people that actually come to uh, the attention of a specialist that can take care of this problem. That's awesome. I love that. Um, so you were mentioning, uh, like, the pan you mentioned the pandemic a second ago. You want to talk about COVID, like, in relation to heart and stuff? Yeah. So there has been a lot of uh, conversations about COVID and the impact of COVID on the heart and the impact of the vaccine on people's mm -hmm. cardiac function recently. Um, and it's really something that is uh, a moving target because we're learning so much more about the COVID infection as the days go by. Mm -hmm. Uh, that things change very frequently. Like there was uh, a time uh, several months ago when people uh, were coming into the hospital with a problem called COVID myocarditis, uh, yeah, which means that. you get inflammation of the heart muscle uh, as a result of the COVID infection. Mm -hmm. And it uh, is really uh, evident that people can have a COVID infection and have the myocarditis, and they won't necessarily die from it, but it will make them sick for a very long time, mm -hmm. make them very short of breath for a long time, make them have a very poor exercise tolerance. And we were seeing this in younger patients because they have such a vigorous immune response. Mm -hmm. And it's most evident in athletes and people who depend upon being very active or living active lifestyles. So it has been uh, a significant impact on people, uh, not necessarily showing up in the mortality statistics, but in ways that we really can't measure because people don't necessarily have to go to the hospital for this uh, lack of vitality problem yeah. that's caused by the myocarditis. They just stay at home and they languish at home and they languish at their jobs and they have a difficult time for a very long time. So. Yeah. I would encourage everyone to get vaccinated so that you don't risk having that problem, especially mm -hmm. younger people. Yeah. 
And, and there are reports out there that say that the vaccine can sometimes cause myocarditis, but this is exceedingly rare and much more rare than people having the myocarditis from actually catching a COVID infection. Yeah, it's all about that quality of life. Like people are talking about that with the, even though you may survive COVID, you have these long-term side effects, you have these heart problems, you know. Exactly. We call them COVID long haulers now sure. because they just seem to just linger and linger and linger. And it's really a devastating thing for a lot of families. Yeah. And I know we're seeing a lot of younger people getting COVID this time around with the Delta variant. And we're in this surge. So it's important to get those vaccines. Yes. And the, the unfortunate thing is that as long as people remain unvaccinated, there will be other variants that become mm-hmm. a problem. And at some point in time, we may reach a point in which a variant is not covered by the uh, coronavirus um, vaccine. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really important to squash the virus as soon as we can because it will really improve the way that our community responds to uh, any future infections that we might have. All right. That's all good info. You ready to do some rapid fire questions? Let's go. All right. Is it ever not thrilling to hold a human heart in your hand? Well, uh, Brogan, uh, one of the things that we do in surgery, we have a lot of students and residents and people coming uh, to learn about heart surgery. And we like having company in the operating room because we like sharing all of the fantastic things that we see and do every day with people who have an interest. Mm -hmm. And I always say when we're in the operating room that even though we do this every single day, I marvel at it every day because every single time it's just a phenomenal experience. And it has made me really, really glad that I went into this business and uh, really happy to be able to help people in this way. Okay. Uh, Give me your favorite red wine recommendation. Ooh, right now, uh, I have a friend uh, named Ben who has turned me on to this wine called Faust. I've heard of that, yeah. And it's uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, and it's really tasty, and uh, I recommend it to everybody. Okay. Uh, Do you prefer research or surgery more? Well, that's a really good question. One of the things that um, I try to... uh, some wisdom I tried to pass along to my children is that we have to be lifelong learners. And so uh, while the technical challenges of performing heart surgery really excite me and turn me on and keep me uh, looking forward to waking up and going to work every day, I think finding out things that no one else has ever known and thinking about questions in ways that people have not thought about them really intrigues me too. And so I have a really big interest in trying to solve clinical problems using uh, research applications. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think it is part of our obligation as scientists and doctors. I think I asked Dr. Barham the same question, and Mm -hmm. he pretty much had the exact same answer. (laughs) It's like almost (laughs) 50-50. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Um, What books are you reading right now? Or what book are you reading right now? Ooh, so... um, I listen to a lot of books on tape because I spend a lot of time on the road. And um, one book that I am just finishing uh, has to do with um, 
uh, surgery, yeah. and it's called Genius on the Edge. It's about surgery at the turn of the century, the last century, and uh, really kind of paints a fantastic picture of what it was like to be a surgeon in the early 1900s, quite different from it is, from what it is now. Gotcha. What was it like growing up somewhere other than here? It's East Africa, right? Yeah, so when I was five years old, we moved to Kenya, mm -hmm. and... Uh, at that time uh, in my life, it was just uh, like a huge playground to live there because we uh, used to take uh, safaris in our car just as a day trip and uh, go to the beach and the Indian Ocean. And uh, so it was a great time to be living overseas. One of the things that strikes me as an adult about going back to visit, because we go back as a family, my parents and my sister and her kids and my family, uh, is uh, the perspective of what kind of news people see overseas compared to the kind of news that we mm -hmm. see in the United States. And um, part of the reason why I wanted to try to um, develop a model to be able to understand how we can help people in rural areas and in disadvantaged areas live healthier lives is because there's so much of the African continent that is rural or very sparsely inhabited. And if we can develop the technology here to help people in remote locations in America, then we can translate that to helping people in places like Africa and other third world countries as well. That's awesome. It's a great perspective. All right. I think that's it. Is there anything else you want our audience to know? No, please, everybody, uh, encourage everyone you know to be able to get vaccinated because it's the only way that we're going to ever be able to come back to some semblance of our normal lives. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for going Beyond the Chart. Follow Baton Rouge General on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for behind the scenes, upcoming episodes, and more. Feel free to subscribe and leave a review. Thank you.